Today's episode is sponsored by Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network Finet, member SIPC. Finet is focused on helping independent advisors support their clients and reach their goals with unique, ever-evolving solutions and resources from one of the nation's largest financial institutions. Learn how you can get more with Finet at wfa.com slash independent. That's wfa.com slash independent. Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rosick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm joined by Lacey Schramm, founder of SmartKX, the tech firm that makes software especially for registered investment advisors in need of automated and compliant fee billing. Today's topic, how Lacey is on a mission to fix RIA's fee and billing issues. Lacey, admittedly, I've been looking forward to this episode, so I am so thrilled that we are finally talking. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. And I've been looking forward to it as well, especially like all the fun commentary that you have throughout that I've been listening to. So excited. Oh, well, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate that. And uh, before we actually dive into the first segment, I do want to start with your background just to give context and what ultimately makes Lacey, well, Lacey and how you made the jump from being an attorney to ultimately a fintech founder. Yeah. So um, my background, I went to undergrad. I always had the expectation of being a lawyer at some point, maybe to practice, but it was just always a goal of tools that I wanted to have. Uh, I learned that I was very literal, um, which led me to law school. And through law school, I was uh, worked with a first at Bernstein's private client office and then uh, with an RIA. Um, And then when I got out of law school, started doing compliance work, did outside counsel work. And of course, so I've been in the RIA space my entire career, um, but seen it from different places, um, from the ops side, from the business side, from the legal and compliance side. And uh, at this point, I got really into technology. Uh, another place that being very literal and a very like logical thinker will lead you to. Uh, so I started um, learning how to code and got really into learning about Bitcoin, speaking about Bitcoin. Um, this was like 16, 17 when we were in the ICO phase and um, really just like kept learning and then looked at, was still involved with the RIA space and looked at the RIA space and like what technologies really needed there. Like what is a problem that I've seen for so long? And, you know, I know enough about technology and the problem to solve. Uh, and so that's how we got to building Smart KX, solving the fee automation and disclosure po- problem. So was there anything in particular as you were kind of making this shift from being an attorney into this tech space? Was there an incident that got you excited about tech or was it just you were diving into issues and said, hey, like this stuff interests me because of automation, you know, because it's making life easier? Like what was that catalyst? Yeah, I really, um, so I went through like a few ideas, right? Like as I'm like being an attorney, I was, I took some web development classes because I just wanted to see just how the internet worked, really. I just wanted wanted that knowledge. And so as an attorney, you know, I see different problems. You know, I looked at emails, I looked at word searches. Um, there was like a handful that I did just some R&D on. And again, at this time, I was looking at 
Bitcoin and talking a lot about Bitcoin. And if um, you followed me or you know anything about Bitcoin, um, you know that the whole premise is on we have all these different ledgers that are being held together um, by basically handholding in the financial system. And so now we have this technology where we can eliminate a lot of the ledgers, which in, therefore eliminates a lot of the risk. And so that was applied to the fee problem, right? Like we have fees that live over in the portfolio management system or an Excel system, um, but they really have no relationship over there. They're dependent wholly on what you tell the client you're going to bill them. So like, why aren't those two things connected? Um, so that those things sort of all came together at one time and that gave birth to, you know, our name is Smart KX. Uh, KX is shorthand for contract in law school. So, you know, that's, we, we do not use blockchain. We do not use a smart contract, but that is the the theory behind it. And um, this thing of like, if you have two things that are being held together manually, in the RAA's case, their operations team is holding together their fees and their contracts by numerous processes. Why not make those two things the same and wholly dependent on each other? Absolutely. Well, that makes sense to me. And I appreciate the background. And that's a perfect segue into our first segment of Stats All Folks. And look, it's probably no surprise that I'm going to start with the number 130 here. <laughs> Big headline back in 2021 when the SEC examined 130 uh, advisors and found that pretty much all of them failed the question, do your fees match your contracts? Ouch. That seems like this is a major industry problem still, right? Yeah. Um, and so the SEC, when that came out, that you asked about the background of like what the problem in technology, but really what I was also seeing is just, I was working with RIAs and they would get examined or we would do a mock audit and it's just seemingly simple, right? Like does your contract do what you told your client match what you're actually billing the client? And that seems so basic. Yes, of course. Um, but when you got into the practice of it, the firms I saw were failing, like very, you know, morally responsible. We do the best for the client. Like these people aren't stealing money, but they are failing this seemingly simple exercise. And so I was saying it a lot. And when the SEC did this sweep, they came out and said, yeah, this is this is definitely happening. The client agreed to something. The advisor's doing another thing. And the reason it is happening is because those two things are so separated. Um, the advisor and client relationship moves on, it changes, and those things never get documented properly in the beginning or updated. And so like one thing has left while the other thing is still waiting. And so there's the disconnect. And I can imagine it might be a little disturbing when you start to look under the hood and folks are doing things with calculators in Excel, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, and it happens quickly. Like it's just a snowball effect. You know, you'll have a special circumstance for a client this month. They're parking cash to buy a house or they bought Tesla and like don't want you to bill on it on a non-discretionary asset or they have their Disney from their grandma. Like they're all this seemingly small things um, that are fit on a post-it usually. But then when the person has 50 post-its on his or her desk, like that's when this like huge problem continues on. And like you said, every client, you know, generally has some type of unique situation. And it, it seems like no facet of wealth management is safe from the glaring trend of personalization because, well, that applies to portfolio management, client portals, email engagement, and of course, 
billing. And I came across a stat with an Advizon's uh, 2022 white paper on fees and billing saying that firms using multiple fee schedules jumped from 81% in 2021 to 92% in 2022. And I would imagine we're just going to see that increase. Totally. So when we met up at Ascent, they had had a statistic that was like 67% of clients expect personalization. And so personalization used to mean when I started my career, it, the only thing I can remember being personalized was some clients had the sin stocks, right? So like, I don't want to buy tobacco companies or gambling. And that was the only thing. And now we know like people want to invest in things they believe in. They want to stay away from things they don't. They want to stay away from founders. I mentioned Tesla, like people they don't support. And so everything is just getting incredibly more customized. And yeah, of course that comes down to billing, um, especially in this volatile market and in an inflationary market, every penny that's paid to the advisor comes out of those investable assets. So 2022, the market's up 20 some percent. Things are great. <laughs> Champagne's flowing, but we are in a different period right now in 2023. So I was at, you know, 80%. 92%. I can totally see that. I have come across one advisor in speaking to thousands of advisors who is very strict and very stern or was of like, this is the only thing that we would do. And he would turn away business if it didn't fit in his fee schedule. But other than that, customization is king. <laughs> oh, I, and, and I can imagine it, it's hard enough to figure out what's right for your business once when it comes to fees and billing. But you know, to keep your fees evolving with your practice adds a whole other layer of complexity and difficulty. And on top of that, the right fee model uh, for you might not feel right for your clients, like you said, um, especially if they have a dozen other fee models to choose from. So I'm curious what you're seeing when it comes to the biggest challenges RAAs run into during their biggest during their billing cycles. The the biggest issue that I've seen really come up is that advisors are stuck on this one type of billing method. So quarterly in advance is like super popular. That's the way it's, that's the traditional way it's always been done. And so now you're seeing new advisors come in and they have, when you're setting up a shop, you have all sorts of fee question, fee routes that you can go. Um, you can do AUM, you can build the invoice, ACH, credit card. And so that's putting the pressure on these advisors who are using quarterly in advance. But that quarterly in advance, it seems like everyone's just really excited to defend that and wants to stay with that. Um, new advisors, again, come in and say, well, quarterly in advance, everyone's doing it. I'll just do it too. And I, I did a deep dive on like why that's happening why that became so popular. And it's easy, right? Like you can say hundred bips on a million, that's 10 a year, 2,500 a quarter, like done. But again, that's super back of the napkin, not in real life practice. Uh, and so it leads to what happens in billing cycles. Well, you know, we took out cash the middle of the quarter, like the client calls, we took out cash, we rebate. Uh, sure. So now like you're taking this divide by four, you're dividing it 360, you know, just some more, just some more math, whatever, whatever. Market went down. You build me at the top of the market. Now it's going down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll adjust for that. So this method of quarterly in advance that's being defended, you get all these calls as a reaction to it. Of course, we can talk about cash flows, like all those issues um, on your business, but 
Um, while it's seemingly simple, $2,500 a quarter, it kind of leads you down into this dark hole of like all these other problems that you're solving that you don't really have. You don't really see cumulatively how impactful they are on your practice. Sure. And, and advisors are, you know, outside of the tried and true kind of quarterly billing that you mentioned, it seems like at least now they advisors are starting to maybe experiment a little bit more to, to help smooth out their cash flows, whether it's, you know, a monthly or flat fee billing, but are you seeing that because there's more tech options or, or is it really because that personalization and customization is forcing the change and it's kind of all coming to a head now? On our side, it's really like the tech availability. So we have an advisor who did quarterly in advance um, based on the last day of the previous period. So build April 1st on March 31st values. Um, and he, you know, all those problems. It's not, and I've done the research, it's not necessarily a you leave or you overcharge the client more money if you're doing average daily balance versus one period. Over time, it really doesn't matter. Like there's really not an impact, but it does take away those conversations of having mid-quarter analysis of what the client did with their money. So this advisor in particular, he switched from the one period to the average daily balance, still in advance. So his cash flows and his business weren't adjusted. But just like that simple tweak, he adjusted his ADV and then he used us to send out the notice for signature to his clients, took him about two seconds for each client, sent them out. Um, as soon as they come back, they shifted to that new billing schedule. The amounts don't really change, but um, it's just taken a lot of load off of him to field those calls and answers and having you know things happen mid-quarter as they do. And he wouldn't have been able to do that without technology. Like he would have, the logistics of changing a fee schedule are drafting an entire new document, completing the names, the accounts, um, the calculation process, each one's individualized. Um, and with technology, he was able to just click through, automate all the sending and collecting. And when it comes to your firm, Smart KX, where are you fitting in specifically in helping these firms? Yeah, so we, I mean, we automate the fees, but- this advisor I talked about, we have the fee schedules loaded in our system. We calculate the fees for them. And then anytime there's a change um, and it's put into the calculation, that change is we document that change and we can um, distribute it to the client either by signature or notice, or, you know, you can print it. Um, we have some exciting ways that we're going to get that data to the client. Um, so you can eliminate that risk that's in that SEC report. And I think for some advisors, the technical trends in billing miss the broader point or they can miss the broader point. Because if I were an RA, for example, is it fair to say you can compete on price or you can compete on value? You can't compete on both, meaning building a fee structure that reflects really the holistic services offered uh, and deep expertise all in a way that makes sense to your client base, right? Yeah, I think the days of competing on price are just limited. Um, I always, it's sort of like competing on performance. Like if you sell on performance, you'll die on performance. <laughs> it's, it's just really, it's really hard to do. And price is the same in the SaaS market with uh, FinTech. We're very familiar with this. Like the prices can just, you know, just keep getting undercut. And so advisors will have to get comfortable with like recognizing their value, verbalizing their value and communicating it to clients. And this is, 
where I see a lot of advisors start just like shaking and getting nervous. Like they don't want to remind the client how much they're paying them or they feel uncomfortable. And I sympathize a lot from this because I am a lawyer and I build by the hour for a long time. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it's it can be very uncomfortable, but you have to be able to defend your value and to, to defend your worth um, or somebody else will defend their own. Um, so yeah, I think the days of competing on price, it's more so customization, innovative thinking, you know, those types of things. And what are some of the best practices RIAs can adopt when it comes to policies and procedures around fees and billings? Yeah. So I like to, um, Mac Brown is a beloved former Texas football coach and he, his tagline was, um, come early, be loud, stay late. And, you know, back to an advisor being comfortable with their value and um, being comforted in knowing that what they provide the client is worth at least or more what they are charging the client, be comfortable with fees, like tell them early, often and clear. So I see that firms aren't updating their client disclosures because it's a lot of work. They don't under any circumstance want to bother the client. They don't want to tell the client how much they're paying them, uh, especially when they have this really great way to collect their fee. Like the client doesn't have to approve the fee every quarter. Like they just pull it out of their account. They kind of don't want to disrupt that really nice system. But I think, I don't think, I know that they have to, like the SEC has said, they are messing it up. They're not doing it correctly. And so at the start of the relationship, if you can get a client comfortable with, yeah, you're, you know, it's just like sending out new client paperwork. Every advisor is like, we want it in one envelope. Like, absolutely do not send it in no envelope, another envelope. Like, this is not realistic. And <laughs> it's not what anybody else is doing. Like, clients are getting envelopes all day for whatever, and they're just clicking through. Like, you have to sign, click through terms of service at least, I would say, once a week, if not once every other day. Um, so just get them comfortable with, like, receiving the disclosures. Like, yeah, you called me today and we adjusted your fee schedule. You're going to receive a disclosure. Like it's not that big of deal. Like get comfortable with communicating your value and standing up for it really. Well, and, and being proactive, right. It's already a touchy enough subject to, to deal with people's money, obviously being such a personal issue and then having to say, Hey, you have to pay me for this advice as well. So it's, I can imagine it can be uncomfortable all around, but it's a good and valid point that just be clear in what you offer and be confident in that and do it the right way at the end of the day. Yeah, And like, if you're providing good value uh, over and above what you're charging, like, and I say, it's easy for me to say that. Um, but as a business owner, you know, I have the, we all have the same thing. Lawyers have the same thing where it's just, but automation helps a lot with that because it's just set on go and you don't have to be the one clicking. <laughs> Makes life a lot easier. <laughs> the emotion is out of it. <laughs> exactly. So talk to me a little bit about how Smart KX is different from other uh, product and service providers like Advice Pay or uh, Panoramics, for example. Yeah. So we're, most advisors uh, are used to doing their fee billing in Excel. Um, or a portfolio management system, or even a combination of both. Um, and so we do the fee calculation. Uh, the thing that sets us apart from anyone else out there is that we also draft that and finalize the client contract with that fee disclosure. So um, our users are able to calculate their fee, automate it, 
um, automate that calculation and drafting from the custodian. Um, but also we draft each client's specific uh, fee disclosure and we can send that to the client for signature or just notice. So each account that you're managing, the fee schedule that applies to that account, which account is paying that fee, um, any exceptions. So like I mentioned, we pull out you know, no bill on cash or 30 bips on Disney, like whatever nuanced customized thing that client has. Um, that is all documented very um, obviously accurately and concisely can go directly to the client. And that eliminates the problem that the SEC has said everyone has, which is their fees don't match their disclosures. And I would imagine that RAs that that come to you for help breathe a sigh of relief when they realize that there's technology that can help them. So are there any case studies or success stories that that you'd like to share? Yeah, so... Um, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind is we had an advisor who was doing their fee billing in a portfolio management system. Um, they also had a really robust compliance system in that um, they had about 150, 175 client relationships. And because these were uber high net worth individuals, they had a lot of um, activity going on in their accounts. Their fee schedules were changing a lot. Like during the quarter, they may add a new account. They may hire a new SMA manager. Um, you know, different things were happening in a quarter. And so that fee schedule could adjust once to two or three times over the quarter just of like some things that happened. And so while they were running their fee billing, they were also had this really tight compliance system where they would actually check against the last disclosure. Every time a client made a change, they would send a new disclosure. So they would type it out by hand. Here are your new accounts. Here's you know who's paying those accounts. Here's the fee schedule. Here's the exceptions. They would draft that out really nicely, put it in an email, send it to the client. That takes a lot of time, right? Takes yeah. We found it takes about 30, <laughs> 45 minutes per client, but it means you're compliant. Um, and then when the fee would come through, they would actually go through every single fee against the contract and the disclosure and make sure that those two things matched. Now, oddly enough, even after all that work during the quarter, there were still times they were mismatched, like, you know, a misdrafting, um, one, you know, nuance didn't get picked up or the system was interpreting, you know, cash at the end of the quarter differently than they were expecting over here on the left hand. So there's just these little tiny things that came up. I mean, you can see where I'm going here. Obviously, um, when they came onto our system and if and when we're calculating the fees and that's inputted, they can automatically draft every single fee change that happens during the quarter. We add a new SMA account. Okay, just like send the fee disclosure. That's done in 30 seconds versus taking an hour. Um, and then because that fee disclosure is actually calculating the fee, that compliance check you can go back and you can do a check on our math. Like you can do an actual audit where you test a small percentage and it gives you an indication of all are correct. Um, but you don't need to go in and check every single one um, because you've already, you can, you know, in two seconds, disclose to the clients what their fee schedule are, run the fees and you don't have to run that risk. So that was a big win for us because you can just see like the time and the poor compliance officer <laughs> Like just how much work it was for um, her to go through and do this every quarter. Like that's impacting, you know, vacations and time out of the office. And so I was going to say you're, you're out here just changing quality of lives then. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that that's pretty pretty amazing um, for the better, which is a surprise for compliance. <laughs> exactly. You don't normally hear those things put together, so that, so that that's great to hear. Um, one final question before we get into our next segment, though, Lacey, what's on the roadmap for Smart KX this year and even beyond? Um, yeah, so big year, um, 2023. If you can imagine, um, integrations are. Top of our list. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. So integrations, um, we're really excited about. We found some great partners that, which I've been, you know, looking for the right one, um, looking for the right um, software to work with that maybe their service goes up to a certain point and then ours can latch on at that point and do a little bit more for theirs and then just add our suite of services. Um, So I'm really excited about that. Um, There's a handful that we'll be announcing soon. Um, so that's that's our biggest one. Um, we've got our team good in place. And so um, we're excited to like take it to the next level with the integrations. All right, we'll be sure to give myself and Davis Janowski a call, please, <laughs> when you're ready to make any you're, major announcements. <laughs> y'all are top of my list. <laughs> good. <laughs> All right, Lacey, it's, it's now time for segment two of this episode, Ask Us Anything, where I've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. So let's check out who's dropping into the DMs this week. We did have a couple questions here. The first one being, how can advisors build confidence with clients around transparency of fees? It seems like a poor strategy to wait around for the client to ask, why not just be proactive? Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I agree. I think it's difficult in two ways. One is that the if you're not using smart kx um the technology to draft and be proactively open about those fees is very difficult right like you have to go in you have to two things one do the client specific like what you know what that fee schedule is any exceptions any additional fees the cadence and then really the math so as easy as fees seem um, we're on a tiered fee schedule that can actually mean two different things to different firms. And so understanding and having that math easily disclosed, that's another piece that's really lacking in the transparency. And the other piece of being transparent with clients is again, just like knowing what your value and your worth is. And of course, being able to be flexible when you have different clients who want or need different things, but uh, just holding to the value of like, this is what we give our clients and this is what we're good at and being confident in that uh, makes a huge difference. And the other question we have, um, making a bit of a pivot here, but going from being an attorney to a fintech founder, what surprised you the most? Uh, It's two very, very different roles. You can imagine. (laughs) Um, one of the things that I think one of the biggest challenges is that when you get, when you pass the bar, so it's kind of, it's the end of your legal education in a formal sense. Of course, you still have to do CLEs, all those things. But when you pass the bar up until that point of your life, you've had really a roadmap. Like if I do these things, this thing will happen. And here's the time period. Like everything has do this, this will happen in this time period. And so when you start your own business, um, that's not the case, right? There is a there is a time period, but there is no set roadmap, uh, especially when you just dig down into any type of niche. Like 
a fintech founder, um, a startup founder, someone that's raised capital, you know, there's not, there's not a hard and true playbook, um, which was once I figured out that that was missing, I'm like, oh, I see why I'm feeling a little uncomfortable here. <laughs> and then the other thing you don't really understand as an attorney and they don't tell you is because you don't need it as an attorney, but is really to market and sell. When someone calls an attorney, they've either have a problem, they know they need to prevent a problem, they're trying to do a transaction. Attorneys are not out there for the most part selling um, a new product, right? Like they're not like, you know what, Shannon, you should start a business and you're going to have these problems with the business you start. So I'll I'll help you start that business and I'll do the, this paperwork. Like that's not how it works. Like you would come to a lawyer and say, I want to start a business. Like you've already, that trigger point has already happened for you. Right. Um, and when you take a product to market, that's not the case. Um, and so that's been a, a huge learning experience for me, but um, really fun. Well, I mean, you're absolutely killing it. So it must be worthwhile then. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lacey, I appreciate you being put on the spot and put in the hot seat. Um, but we have come to our final and my favorite segment, Stack It or Whack It, where I'm going to throw out a few technologies. And as a heads up, they are not always wealth tech related. And you tell me if they are essentially worth the hype or not. And I know this is something you and I talked about a couple months ago at Ascent, but hackathons, um, stack it or whack it when it comes to hackathons. Seems like our industry has gotten away from them. Do we try to bring them back? <laughs> I love hackathons. Stack it. Like I, uh, I think a hackathon in a big form or a small form is a great way to solve a problem and make something work back to timelines. Like I thought the best thing about the hackathon is that there was a deadline and it was very imminent. And so you had to solve this thing as fast as possible and like duct tape it together and make it work. Like however you could get to a deliverable, which is, I, I think one of the best ways to like get creativity moved from creativity to an actual produced thing that's doing something. Uh, so I'm all about hackathons. Maybe I should like, I have some nuanced problems. Maybe I should throw out and have my own hackathon because they're really fun. I was going to say, it sounds like you and I need to, uh, yeah. revamp and, uh, get one going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So stack the, the hackathons next one, blockchain technology, knowing that you have a love for, for Bitcoin, um, and digital currencies, you know, are we still waiting for its potential to be recognized? stack it or whack it when it comes to blockchain technology? Uh, I think for, so that has a lot of different meanings in the Bitcoin side, stack it for sure. Like I think like Bitcoin has recognized the potential of blockchain. I mean, that's where it came from, even though the word blockchain is not in the white paper, what they've coined the technology that grouped together to make Bitcoin possible. Uh, and I think that absolutely has proved the potential of that type of network working uh, enterprise blockchain, <laughs> uh, central, central, uh, monetary policy on blockchain, blah, 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 whack <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I think that's completely fair. <laughs> All right. And this is a bonus. You're actually the first guest I've asked three questions to in this segment, um, just because I know you could handle it. And as a fellow traveler, you know, what are your thoughts on Apple AirTags? Are they stalkerish or more of a convenient tech to keep track of your stuff? 
Uh, are we putting them on children, suitcases? I do put computers. them on my dogs, the collars. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I've got to say whack it on the air tags. Like I'm a huge privacy and surveillance, anti-surveillance nut. And so the air tags to me, and I travel, I'm a carry on traveler. So same. Like, I mean, everything, I do not ever check a bag. So for me, I'm, I don't have any air, air tags. Like I have no cameras. I have no air tags. I have no Alexa. Like I'm on the weirdo anti-surveillance <laughs> camp. All right. So tinfoil hat it is. Got it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Maybe <laughs> our secret ranch that we've, <laughs> we'll live we're, off the land. <laughs> and where we'll have the hackathon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is moving perfectly into my, <laughs> I can set up a mesh internet system. Like, don't worry. Oh, it sounds like you've thought about this before. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to follow your lead on this. <laughs> uh, this is a great way to wrap up. Lacey, been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and uh, about Smart KX. So please feel free to tell listeners where they can learn more. Thanks so much for having me. So we are at smartkx.io. Uh, I have a pretty heavy attendance on LinkedIn. So Lacey Shrum. Uh, and of course, uh, I can always be reached at Lacey at smartkx.io. And um, love chatting, of course, about fees, my opinions on fees, how we can help with fees. But um, as we've talked about, you know, love talking about Bitcoin technology, monetary policy, those things too. So. Well, thank you again for being part of the Wellstack podcast and be sure to like, and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms and follow all things Wellstack on wealthmanagement.com, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And thank you all for tuning in today. Today's episode is sponsored by Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network, Finet, member SIPC. Finet is focused on helping independent advisors support their clients and reach their goals with unique, ever-evolving solutions and resources from one of the nation's largest financial institutions. Learn how you can get more with Finet at wfa.com independent. That's wfa.com independent.